0: Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Welcome. We're here today with Dr. Angela Abraham. Dr. Abraham is the Diversity and Inclusion Liaison, as well as a Clinical Assistant Professor at New England College of Optometry. Today we're going to be talking about this this place where we are the intersection of social justice and healthcare. Um Dr. Abraham, you've seen the overlap between these two areas from for a, a very long time.
1: Yes, yes I have. Um you know, coming into my role as diversity and inclusion liaison at one of the oldest optometry schools um in the country. Um it's uh it's very daunting to hold this um, appointment as diversity inclusion liaison. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, there's There's been a lot of work in this space, but as we know um, with our current 13% challenge with black eye care perspective and the work that historically the, the uh, National Optometric Association has been doing to bring um, eye care doctors and the practice of optometry to the forefront for um, black and Hispanic individuals. Um, We know that in this space, there's still a lot of work to be done. And um, I'm happy to be at the helm at at least right now at the New England College of Optometry. So thank you for having me.
0: Great. It's a pleasure to have you here. Let's um, just to to clarify that 13%, 13% is roughly the, uh, a percentage of the population that is black in
1: America exactly
0: yes, yes, and yet uh the the percentage of optometry um, of optometrists who who are black is significantly lower than that thirteen usually
1: i I believe that uh, statistic is about two percent um mm. and um in the uh, optometry schools uh, students faculty staff we hover around about three percent so yes yes it's it's uh startling uh, those statistics and the thirteen percent promise um, is a charge for us to increase uh, black eye, eye care uh, individuals in uh, in the space of boardrooms, optometry students, and faculty at optometry schools, um, and in the industry of uh, ophthalmic care, uh, to increase that to 13%. And um, I believe New England College of Optometry is still one of the only optometry schools that has still officially signed up for that challenge.
0: Hmm. So you you may have had a, a, a slightly unusual or uncommon in, in this in this perspective um, relationship growing up your optometrist as a as a child was also a civil rights um, yes activist um,
1: that's exactly right dr Lonnie randolph jr um was is my godfather and um, was an optometrist uh is an optometrist and um was the president of the NAACP for 20 consecutive years. Um, I had the honor uh, and opportunity to bring him up to the New England College of Optometry to speak about his journey as an optometrist and as the president of the NAACP to one of my organizations uh Jack and Jill of America that my son and I were a part of back in 2013 and um we, um, we were able to host the uh, Newton chapter of Jack and Jill of America at the New England College of Optometry with the parents and the children to speak about the Voting Rights um, Act at that time, as well as the importance of, of eye care. Um, and so it's, it's certainly, um, as we speak of uh, the intersection of healthcare and social justice, and um, he was able to bring that to the forefront um, right at one of the foundations of optometry in America, the New England College of Optometry. So I was happy to do that and very, very proud.
0: So v- voting rights to eye care, draw the, the connection for us,
1: please. Well, no, we were actually, it was the Voting Rights Act of, um, uh, the Voting Rights Act, which was when which was in jeopardy at that time uh, in November of 2013. And so he was speaking about the importance of voting and the Voting Rights Act. Um, And he just happened to be, um, it was an activity that I um, was focused on and I happened to bring him as an optometrist to talk about the importance of voting in general um, to the optometry school. And so we right. were able to bring those two things together because um, what a lot of students don't understand is that when you're in school, you say you may not wanna be connected to politics, but because of the laws of optometry, you mm-hmm. are, it's directly affecting your career. So you have to be involved. You have to mm-hmm. um, stay abreast of all the situations and the laws that um, can affect the way that you practice, particularly in a state like Massachusetts where we still do not have the right to treat and manage glaucoma. It's the only state. So we have to continue to be vigilant about um, staying on top of the laws and trying to get that law passed to bring optometry and glaucoma um, to the forefront um, so that we can treat and manage the way that we are trained in school. You know, I came from South Carolina where I was able to practice um, treating and managing glaucoma to a state of Massachusetts, which is now, it's unlawful for me to practice um, Mm -hmm. treating and managing Mm -hmm. glaucoma. So you have to stay abreast of that and you have to know that um, politics definitely plays a role in healthcare. And we see it all the time, and I, and I try to make that uh, acutely aware to the students that um, that I'm training clinically.
0: Right. Well, that the, the Massachusetts limitations on your scope of practice is a is a you know a super example of of how um, legislation can can limit or expand your, your career opportunities.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. How does
0: increasing this um, percentage potentially impact access to healthcare?
1: Well, um, historically, we know the statistics are there that patients do better when they have doctors that they can see that look like them. They are more likely to adhere to a treatment plan and a protocol for their healthcare, when they have doctors that look like them, that are culturally sensitive to them, you know, that um, understand uh, them and their background. Um, so, we, so we know that. So um, the importance comes from getting more of doctors that can go into areas, particularly um, community health centers, where there are high uh, ethnicity groups that may favor one healthcare center over another. Um, and if you can get, you know, black doctors, uh, Hispanic doctors, um, you know, in those spaces that can treat those patients, we know that the outcomes are going to be better. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a statistical proven fact.
0: So this is a this is a long range goal because first we have to you know identify these students and get them through optometry Absolutely. school or identify the optometrists and get them into into leadership positions um, things like that. But but this question can't I hope um, rest squarely on the shoulders of 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 people of color. No. What, no. No. What can and what should be done. Um you know, until, until we get to, to 13%. I mean, what's, well, what's kind of the responsibility for everyone?
1: Right, exactly. Um, it's, it's not solely the responsibility of people of color. Um, we generally historically have not been uh, the people of privilege. So we need to cast the net wide for um, an inclusive environment and to have Listening converse- and conversations about how we can share best practices to um, extend the career of optometry into not only colleges but even high schools, and talk about um, the career itself. Um, and it's and it the responsibility just doesn't uh, stand on our shoulders as people of color, but the communities that that we are in. Um, myself in particular, I'm at the New England College of Optometry and there are just two black faculty. And so um, it's incumbent upon the rest of the faculty to join in and have conversations. And those conversations may be uncomfortable, but what can we do to come together to get the word out about how great a career optometry is and how we are willing as a community to support those students once they um, are able to you know, apply, get in and thrive. And we have to come together as a community um, in this inclusion model um, for excellence, for the students that we bring in to get them through, to get them thriving and to graduate them so that they can go out into the community and do the same thing, you
0: know. So what, what does this inclusion model look like or or what's different or enhanced than?
1: Well, I think, I think it's not just one model. I don't think it can be one model. Um, We are charged with, you know, bringing together people to, to get this information out, to come, to extend out into the communities. But there are a number of us that are doing this work and we rely on each other. You know, there's Dr. Janet Pepper at Southern College of Optometry. There's Dr. Ruth Shoge at salas PCO. You know, there's uh, mm-hmm. Janine mm-hmm. Sims at UAB. There's Keisha Elder at UAB. There's, there's, you know, those are my colleagues, but our role models, Dr. Dr. Gerald Simon at UAB, you know, continues to have conversations and, and pivot and answer a call, answer a text with questions and concerns that we may have because he's been doing this for so long. And so he has become, you know, our our role model and our go-to person. There's Ed Marshall at, you know, Indiana University in Indiana, that's still doing the work. You know, um, one of the long time um, members of, of the National Optometric Association, you know, there's, um, there's Philip Asibomo down in in, incarnate word, still doing the work. Um, And so we're still calling on these leaders to help us, you know, grow and change these models to fit today's world so that we can continue to do the work to recruit the students, to support the students, to, to help them thrive in school so that we can get to their graduations and and help them, you know, extend the word about how great the career of optometry is. Do you
0: feel um, a particular responsibility for being a, a, a mentor, being a model? Is, is that just a fact
1: of life? Um, you know, I think it's in my DNA. You know, my, my parents, um, you know, came up from the South. Uh, to the University of Massachusetts, they, you know, my dad got a doctorate from the University of Massachusetts. My mom, you know, um, finished college there, you know, got master's and then they continued to bring people from the South uh, to the North for education. So I think it's in my DNA that we, that we do this. My sister, you know, is, is in education. My brother is in education, My family. But I think when you're in a field like optometry where the numbers of minorities, underrepresented minorities are so low, um, it's hard to say, okay, I got mine, you get yours and, you know, and and not reach back to pull someone else up and to, Mm -hmm. to express, you know, the joy of having such a, such a wonderful career. Um, and in particular myself, uh, I was in private practice in South Carolina, but I've always loved community health. And I knew that one of the foundations of community health optometry was in Massachusetts. And so I found myself back here and, um, and teaching um, at a community health center for nine years, which has been wonderful you know, a, just a wonderful chapter of my life. And, um, and I continue to look forward to having those experiences and sharing, you know, the field of optometry with those students. And I encourage them to go out and, and share, you know, their experiences with, with optometry and no matter what, whether they're an underrepresented minority or not, but, um, mm-hmm. to talk about the experiences that they have had, um, to, to their patients and the families of their patients about this wonderful career that we have.
0: Right, right. And that brings it back to sort of something that people can do, you know, today. Exactly. What else? I mean, are there, how can diversity and inclusion initiatives be more supported?
1: Um, I think we have to keep sharing ideas With each other. Um, I think, as I said earlier, one model may not fit your model, but you can take pieces and parts of it um, to make it a best practice for all of us. We have, um, we're getting together just to talk about, you know, the good, the struggles, you know, and Mm -hmm. how we can help each other. Because even though we're at different schools, and we're at different um, journeys in this diversity and inclusion space, we are, we all have a common goal to bring forth optometry to underrepresented minorities um, and show that this field of optometry is, is a wonderful field to be in. And so we're not in competition with each, with each other, we're linked arm in arm. Um, in this story of diversity and inclusion, and how we can continue to move forward, I'm a huge proponent of community health centers and bringing that along with mentoring and just best practices in diversity and inclusion, and learning and growing in this space, and bringing it to the New, Eng- New England College of Optometry is just a tremendous opportunity that I am grateful for. Um, I think that, um, you know, when we link uh, the community with the college, and we are able to touch a number of the the educational um, spaces here in the New England area, I think we have a an opportunity to do great things. And I think um, under the leadership of Dr. Howard Purcell um, and, you know, the executive leadership team um, here at New England College of Optometry, it has allowed me to Extend my hand to other optometry schools and show them what we're doing, and to think big, and to be unafraid, and to boldly go um, into diversity and inclusion, um, and and do this great work.
0: How how much do you anticipate this role changes over over the next few years? I mean, is it is it is it the the, the long slow march or I or Is it catapulting?
1: Um, I think it actually can be seen as both because Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when you are in um, a professional school, you're working with young adults. And, you know, we are linked to what's going on in the world and how that's affecting them. And, And so we are having to bring people from all different backgrounds and their experiences and how they may treat people and how they may see people. And there's going to be some unlearning and unbecoming um, and growing Mm -hmm. of those individuals to make the best um, optometrist that they can be. And that's part of my job. Um, So I think um, there's going to be some uncomfortable times, but um, we're going to continue to move forward. Because, you know, uh, we can't sit still for the last decade like we have at this 3%. We have to move forward. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are going to be some, some opportunities for catapulting. But, there's, but we also have to recognize that everybody's not ready to make those giant leaps. And so right. we have to be prepared to slow walk them, you know, through this journey as well. Do you have any kind of a a time frame for a 13%? Well, we have just given ourselves five years, you know, as a Mm -hmm. goal. Um, And just even in the last two months, we have made tremendous um, gains um, just reaching out to um, historically Black colleges and universities and getting um, feedback from them and, and developing partnerships. Um, just within the last sixty days, so that that is promising to me, that is hopeful to me. Um, you know there's um, there's a saying that I grew up with um, the hope factor, and I think that you know you can have a no hope factor and you can have a hope factor and I think mm-hmm. that the gains that we have made in a very short amount of time and the support that we have gotten from the college and to move forward with this 13% effort um, is showing me that um, I think we're, we're on a journey that um, that's going to be positive.
0: That's wonderful. And, and, you know, hearing this idea that, that this is potentially achievable in, in five years, I mean, that is a catapult. And I would think that, you know, as these numbers grow and you break through this, this 3% kind of holding pattern, Mm -hmm. um, and into the the higher numbers that, that the conversations become, I, I would hope a little easier as well.
1: Yeah. Um, I hope so, you know, but, but I am, I am aware that the conversations may be uncomfortable but you have to have an uncomfortable conversation to have change to move forward. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm still hopeful. I'm very hopeful.
0: That's yeah. And, and it, and not, not afraid to have those uncomfortable conversations. I mean, if they, if they
1: need to be had, they need to be had. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, and I think it's, it's, um, it's a person like myself that can have those conversations and can make people feel comfortable around me so mm-hmm. that it's not as daunting as it could be. Um, so I am, and I'm willing to to extend myself to have, have those kinds of conversations knowing, you know, that it may not be easy, but it's necessary. It, you know, and it just takes, you know, something as simple as creating, you know, a patio perspective, you know, sit down, you know, and say, hey, why don't you have a conversation with me? I've never had a conversation with, you know, this person. And, you know, mm-hmm. you don't know what they're thinking. And they don't know what you're thinking. But if you can just, you know, sit down and just have a conversation, you know, there's, there's a huge sigh of relief, you know, that they're, Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, preconceived notions are kind of broken down.
0: Well, Dr. Abram, I'm certain this is not going to be our only conversation over the over the years. This is uh, just a really interesting and important um, aspect to to access to care, um, you know, and uh, and and the the future of the optometric profession.
1: Yes, yes. I I I am so thankful for for this conversation and I look forward to many more. Um, um my colleagues in this space, um we uh would one day like to do a group uh conversation with you. Um, you know, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Shogay, Dr. Elder, Dr. Sims, myself. You know, we look forward to having kind of a round table and, and discussing these issues you know, um, even further. That sounds you. great.
0: Thank you so much for being part of WL Voices.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you very much. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline@gmail.com at or via our website, womeninoptometry.com on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.